Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the past week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I, and sometimes Kelly, are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org in our shop under free downloads. We know some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive by the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whichever one of those categories you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here today. Welcome to the recap. We're doing the March 27th episode. We are in Exodus, John, and Proverbs. What you got? This is such an interesting scene to me, this whole golden calf thing. Mm. And I guess I just, I think this is one of those sections where I just don't relate at all. I think there are often times when I can go from looking at the Israelites and how they respond to God and to Moses, either like completely judging them or, but then most of the time I can. Or relating. Right. Most of the time, even if I'm like judging them a little bit, I recognize that their humanity is the same as my humanity. You know what I mean? But it's really hard to relate to the whole. this one, yeah. I just threw in some gold and out came this calf. Like, right. Well, and Aaron kills me in this. So a couple, so a couple things. They're thinking, well, Moses has been up there for a long time. Like, what if he doesn't come back? That's the whole problem, right? At the beginning. Mm -hmm. So instead of just saying, well, hey, we've got Aaron. He's been working with Moses the whole time. He could be our leader. Mm -hmm. Like, that seems like the logical thought process to me, where instead they're like, let's make a fake God. After all of these things that they've seen happen, there's no way for them to think that something they make out of gold can do the same things as what their God has been doing for them. So I don't understand. And then I don't understand why Aaron was like, oh, that's a good idea. Sure. Although when I wrote all of that down, when Aaron talks to Moses about it later in in chapter 32, verse 22, Aaron basically confesses that he did it because he's afraid of the people. That's the whole reason. He says to Moses, don't be enraged. You know that the people are intent on evil. And basically they asked me to do this. So it was like Aaron did it purely out of because he was afraid of the people and how they were going to respond if he said no. Uh-huh. But, I think it's interesting that the people responded with um, enthusiasm. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from Egypt. That they're yes. still in that pluralistic pagan right. God mindset that they, yeah, that they, they know that like God has identified him as I am the only God. The and, God, yes. Yeah. And they're like, these are the gods that brought us out of Egypt, even though yeah. he's been clear that he is one God. Right. Well, Um, then right after that, so Aaron builds the altar in front of it and announces there's going to be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. (laughs) I don't understand how those things go together. Like, it's almost like they're not necessarily replacing the God, but they're just adding a little bit extra to him. Like, I just thought of this when you're talking about them going out of Egypt. There were lots of times along the way where God made himself visible to them, like the pillar of fire and the cloud. And, and so I wonder if it was this, like it had been a while since they'd seen a representation of God. And so. Well, he's up there in the cloud, right? Right. Over the mountain. Yeah. So it makes, I actually was thinking about how human it is if God's with you daily and he's showing himself daily and you can see evidence of him daily in all of these different things. And then. I've seen him every day. And now all of a sudden there's no evidence of him at work yeah. anywhere for days and days and days that it's just easy to become complacent. Like it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter 
Yeah, it doesn't really matter. I can kind of make every anything my joy and my delight, including a, a fake calf. Yeah. Um, instead of God when he's not immediately at work in our midst. It yeah. makes me, you know, I think about this whole thing. It's like, okay, we're all completely focused and dependent on Jesus right now in the midst of this whole coronavirus mm-hmm. thing and we're a week in. But what happens if we're three months in and we're still in the same place that we were today? Will we still be as sure that God is in our midst, that he's at work and that he's... Anyway, you were making a point that I totally diverged off. No, of, it's but. okay. We, I, yeah. I mean, but it actually it kind of goes hand in hand because I was talking about how they, they're, they're making these false gods, but they're still celebrating a festival to Wanting the Lord to and God. offering sacrifices. Right. Yeah. So almost like they're trying to muster up this thing that they yes. want so badly. Like they want this, they want to see him, which kind of ties into what you were saying. Like when you see him and see him and see him, and then you don't for a, a mere period of time, you're, it's like our, our, we're trying to muster it up yes. and it's not from us in the first place. It's all God's work. It totally makes me think of, I love it when I have to preface it with, I'm going to delete this, but it totally <laughs> makes me think churches that I've gone to that have been more, um, like when his signs and wonders aren't working, you can just kind of, you feel like you're in the midst of this, like we want to conjure up the work of God. And so yes. we do these things that don't necessarily feel authentic, kind of make you feel maybe a little uneasy because mm-hmm. it seems like you're trying to make signs and wonders where God had no intention of mm-hmm. making signs and wonders. So right. anyway, right. There are times when God's going to be working really actively Powerfully. and yeah. Mm-hmm. And where we can see it. And then there are times where we just have to rest in what we know to be true about him. And that feels like that's yeah. what this was like a time for the Israelites to rest in what they know to yes. be true. And this is actually a good segue into one of the things that probably the only thing that I've taken from this week that I have just been mulling over and mulling over and taking so much comfort in is in chapter 36 and 37, you were talking about a couple of weeks ago, how he gives these skilled people, their creative gifts are an illustration of our creative God. God in creation gives us mm-hmm. the desire and love for creation. That is part of us being his image bearers. Mm-hmm. Like I think about Bezalel. I don't really know how to say his name, but it says Bezalel made, he made, he made, he yeah. made, he made. He just was going on and going on and going on with all of these creations that he was making. It's one point they needed them to bring all of these gifts. I love that it says the people are bringing more than enough for doing this work that God has commanded us to do. So Moses sent out orders through the camp, men, women, no more offerings for the building of the sanctuary. The people were ordered to stop bringing offerings. Mm -hmm. There is plenty of material for all the work to be done enough and more than enough. So one of the things that I've also been, you know, my prayer, ongoing prayer has been, Lord, let there be enough and more to share with all of these things. So that's another theme that's kind of been running on in my head as we've been dealing with this whole virus thing and people running to collect and hoard. But this idea that Bezalel was filled with the Holy Spirit to complete the work that was given to him to do and the joy that it must have been to be doing what he was created to do, that he didn't have to make an extra effort. There was no pressure on him. He was just doing what he does. When Mm -hmm. we're filled with the Holy Spirit to do God's work that he's called us to do, there's no pressure to be or do anything more than we already are because it's his spirit at work that makes it so amazing. I don't know if I can articulate this the way that I want to, but I've been kind of looking at Acts lately and I've been focused, uh, I'm in the story of Stephen and how Stephen's face shined with glory. Did I already share this with you? Mm-mm. Thinking about how Stephen's face shone like an angel when he came before the lead council. 
I'm wondering whether those the council kind of when they saw his face shining like an angel whether it like made them think of Moses reminded them yeah yeah Moses coming off the mountain with that if that must have been a connection that they made in their head but Stephen wouldn't have known that his face was shining like like an angel Stephen was just standing there doing what he was called to do which in the end was like when they asked him whether these false accusations were true and he speaks this longing amazing sermon that is exactly what God said that the Holy Spirit would do to his believers. He would provide them with what they needed to say when the time came and what they needed to do. At any rate, I've been thinking about Bezalel and Stephen and all of these people who are filled with the Holy Spirit doing these things that they're called to do. And they're not, they're not overwhelmed. They're not working hard. They're not, they're not being any more than who they were created to be. And for me right now, as we're building up to the launch of Dive Collective, I, every so often, like I get this nauseated, I can't do, I can't do whatever. I don't even know what's coming, but I feel like right. it's too much. It's not, yep. I'm not going to be able to handle the commitment, the pressure, the, the whatever is going to come my way. I don't have it. And that's when like the, that's when I feel like God just keeps reminding me. It's not, you're not going to do any of it, but my Holy Spirit is going to do it. And you're not even going to know what my Holy Spirit is doing. You're just going to be being you. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to do you. You're going to do these things that you love. You're going to talk about scripture. You're going to meet with people. You're going to love on people. And then I'm going to do what I do. And you don't have to worry about what that is. Like, yeah, like, and that's just been such a comfort to me. Just such a comfort to me as we are coming up on this launch. Yeah, we sure are coming up on this launch. Yeah, (laughs) It's coming fast. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good reminder for sure. I don't, we shouldn't skip over God's glory. Yeah. Passing by Moses. Right. That's, that's one of the other things that I, love about the Exodus reading from this week. I have written in my Bible in different colors from the different times I've read through it. And the last time I read through it, the thing that stuck out to me was when he says, so this stuck out to me the last time and I don't know why, but for me now thinking about our world at this moment, it felt really applicable again, specifically, not necessarily in a different way, but he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And I had written there's a verse in Psalm 73 that says that his presence is our good or his presence is my good. Mm. And it's true. I mean, just that it's just a solid foundation. I, when nothing else makes sense, it doesn't matter. His presence is going to go with us and his presence is my good. Yes. I can't get away from either of those two things. Even thinking about Job that we just went through, God was with him through all of that. Mm-hmm. And even when it, and we talked about this a lot when we were going through that, even when our circumstances don't look like what we would define good as. Especially when our right. circumstances. Especially. So this, is, this passage, every time I think about it, I can't think about it any differently than I heard it from Ann Valdkamp in the book mm-hmm. 1000 Gift. Every time I think about this passage, I think about how God's presence was closest to Moses while he was in the complete and utter Mm -hmm. darkness in the cleft of the rock. And he didn't get to see God's glory until it had passed by. He could only see it from behind. This is one of those things that like, I probably have said it a hundred different times to a hundred different people. And so it, I hesitate to say it again, but for the sake of anybody that hasn't heard that, it's made a huge impression on me, the idea that it's in complete darkness, that God Mm -hmm. is the most present and that we won't see it until we come out and we look at it from behind and we go, Mm -hmm. there, there he is look at what he has done. Like I said, we only get to see it from behind because nobody can see God and live on this earth. 
And this, of course, when he comes down from that, that's when his face is shining. And again, he has to veil his, his glorious face from the people because it's just shining because he's been in God's presence. But God declares his name before him. That's what stood out to me this time is that um, he says, I will call out my name before you. And then it says, God descended in the cloud and took up his position there beside him and called out the name God. God passed in front of him and called out God, God a God of mercy and grace, endlessly patient, so much love, so deeply true, loyal in love for a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Still, he doesn't ignore sin. He holds sons and grandsons responsible for a father's sins to the third and fourth generation. Mm-hmm. So he loves to a thousand generations, and he holds people responsible for only yeah. three and four. Yeah. And Moses' response, yes. And then Moses' response at the very end of the next paragraph, after he bows down and worships, falls on the ground and worships, he says, own us, possess us. Mm -hmm. Yes. So much of Moses' story points us to Jesus. Mm -hmm. The 40 days and 40 nights that he didn't eat any food or drink any water. Do you have anything else from Exodus? This points back, I think, to just the personal relational God. In this scene right here, they almost exchange names. But in the beginning of that, when God is talking to Moses and he's telling him what he's going to do, he says a few times I, to Moses, I know you by name, basically just telling him. Oh, um, where is that? Chapter 33, verse 12. He says, you said, I know you by name. And then he says it again later on. Um, the Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you asked for. You have found favor with me and I know you by name. So God knows Moses that way. Hmm. And then he tells Moses, I'm going to tell you my name. It's, I don't know. It just, yes. I, I've noticed, I've noticed before, That's like those, I know you by name is underlined yes. in my Bible because I love that. How mine I says, I know God you well, so, but yeah, yet- it's God is so personal, you know, but then even the flip side of that, when God tells Moses, I'm going to tell you my name. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even the way he expands upon his name that he's compassionate and gracious, gracious and slow to anger. The way he describes himself is just, it's love. It's just pure love. Love. Yeah. And God spoke with Moses face to face as Mm -hmm. a friend speaks to his friend. Yeah. I love this. I don't want to go to a little bit of (laughs) kiss. I just found a paper in all of my unpacking. Why I still have this, I don't know. But one of my college, one of my big college papers was the sacral system in Leviticus. Mm. And I saw it and I was like, oh, yes, it's going to be so good to have you talking through Leviticus with us. Well, college was a long, long time ago, Erin. No, I know. But I just remember you speaking on it, too, when we were in when we were in Guantanamo. So that's very exciting to think about. Proverbs (sighs) 8 through 14. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed Proverbs. Yeah. That sounds terrible to say, but I really enjoyed this section of Proverbs. One thing that just kept sticking out to me is several times it talks about just the wisdom of keeping silent, Mm. which I tend to do that in relationships outside of my immediate family, like with my husband and my kids. I don't usually keep silent. That's mm-hmm. where I kind of let it all out. I think I recognize the value in that in other relationships, but I don't put that same thing into practice with my family. And there are definitely, that's a, again, like Proverbs is a principle. There are definitely times where we should speak. I thought of this time with my son when 
<laughs> I think I've told you the story. I made dinner. This is still when we were in Gitmo and everybody had like football practice or something that night. And so I made dinner because I know some people like to eat before practice and some people like to eat after practice. I don't have to tell this whole story, but I'm going to tell you because I feel like I do. So Shiloh decided to eat after practice and they get home and everyone's getting ready for bed and it's late and I'm done. I'm ready for people to go to bed and he's sitting at the table and he's learning Spanish. And so he calls me over to the table and he says, have I told you this story? I don't remember it. He says, Hey mom, this dinner is más o menos is what he says to me, which is not a compliment. <laughs> and I kind of chewed him out and was like, you know what, Shy? That's the kind of thing you can keep to yourself. There are some <laughs> thoughts and opinions. Nobody needs to know. You could have just said, thanks mom for dinner and left it at that. Like, I don't care what you feel about the food at this moment in time. <laughs> Anyway, it turns the funny thing about the story is it turns out it's that's not actually what he meant to say. He meant to say that it was pretty good, only he used the wrong words because he's not a Spanish speaker. So <laughs> he got chewed out multiple times because I kind of just kept building on this whole idea <laughs> as the evening wore on. And then when Isaac oh my word stepped in and had a conversation with him, it turned out that he actually didn't mean to say that. But that's what it made me think of. That whole like sometimes I'm opinionated. I, I think I'm right a lot of the time, but sometimes it's good and okay for me to keep that to myself. Mm -hmm. And that includes my family and my kids and my husband, because I don't, I don't do it often with them. Anyway, that was one thing that stuck out to me. The other thing that stuck out to me, mostly in chapter eight and nine, I think, was just this constant connection between just the reminder that all wisdom comes from God. There's a section eight that totally reminded me of when God speaks to Job at the end, because wisdom when is he mapped and gave borders to the wild. Yes, wisdom's else, like, like I was yes, there. I have a big like, heart over it. Yeah. Yes, I loved that. That was so good. And why don't you um, read it? Okay, I think it starts 22. around twenty-two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it says the Lord acquired me, but my footnote says that. It it could be, it could be possessed or made me. Yeah. Mine says God sovereignly creation. made me. Yeah. So God made me at the beginning of his creation before his works of long ago. I was formed before ancient times from the beginning, before the earth began. I was born when there were no watery depths and no springs filled with water. Before the mountains were established prior to the hills, I was given birth before he made the land, the fields, or the first soil on earth. I was there when he established the heavens, when he laid out the horizon on the surface of the ocean, when he placed the skies above, and when the fountains of the ocean gushed out, when he set a limit for the sea so that the waters would not violate his command, when he laid the foundations of the earth. I was a skilled craftsman beside him. I was his delight every day, always rejoicing before him. I was rejoicing in his inhabited world, delighting in the children of Adam. Okay, and so do you know what that makes me think of? What? Okay, so do you remember in Exodus when we're talking about all these skilled craftsmen and how mm. last week or the week, I think it was last week, my version said something about how they were filled with wisdom and yours translated it as the spirit of God. Yes. Well, this time in Exodus, when it's talking about the same thing again, my translation also says that he was filled with the spirit of God. Exodus 35, 31 is talking about Bezalel, it said he had filled, he has filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom, understanding, and ability in every kind of craft. 
thinking about all those things together and how wisdom was there when God made the world and that connection between God's spirit and wisdom, you can't separate it. I mean, Proverbs tells us the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, Mm -hmm. which is basically relationship with God. Like Mm -hmm. that's where we get wisdom from is that relationship with our creator. Yes. The version that I'm reading says day after day, I was there with my joyful applause, always enjoying his company, delighted with the world of the things and the creatures, happily celebrating the human family. I can just picture him there like, yes, that's so good. This is so great. Do it again. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So good. Yeah, yeah. So the theme that I got cool. from eight and nine, which again fits with something else that he's been teaching me that he taught me in Luke, he says, do you hear lady wisdom calling? Can you hear Madam insight raising her voice? She's taken her stand at first and main at the busiest intersection. She's so readily accessible. Mm-hmm. Like the, the uh, opposite yeah. of that is where she's, you have to go out of your way actually to go into the darkness to find, oh, Madam whore calls out. And she's, you actually have to go out of your way to go find her in the darkness. But wisdom is sitting at first in Maine in the daylight, calling out mm-hmm. like for anybody that wants her, Yeah, it makes yourself readily accessible. And I think that makes me think of where we started in Luke. I think it's chapter six where he basically is like, anybody who comes to the father who gives good gifts will get the Holy Spirit. And in abundance, all you have to do is ask. He's waiting to pour out his spirit mm-hmm. on us. So it's that same thing. It seems so obscure, but it's so readily accessible yeah. if you just ask. Just ask. Yeah. Yeah. Should we move to John? John, yeah. What do we mean? John 11 through 17. Lazarus. I love Lazarus. We see so much of Jesus as man and Jesus as God. It's mm-hmm. such a mix of those two full parts of his person, you know? As God, he knows what's going to happen. He hears he's sick. Then he tells the disciples that our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on the way to wake him up. So he knows he's already dead, even though he hasn't gotten word. Consciously chooses to not go in time so that his glory can be displayed in a whole grander way. And then even though he knows all of these things, he still is grieving when it comes down to it. There's that human God in one, because it's easy for me to look at it and think, why is he crying? (laughs) Like He knows what's going to happen. Yeah. But I mean, he loved Lazarus's sisters too. So I think he was joining in their grief, even though he knew he was about to do something incredible. Speaking of the sisters, I like that you always hear the story of Mary and Martha and Mary's sitting at Jesus's Mm -hmm. feet and Martha's doing the work. And I love that Martha here is, she's a standout woman of faith in verse 21. Martha said, master, if you'd been here, my brother Mm -hmm. wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask, he will give it to you. There's just so much, so much faith in that statement, all that human mix of faith and Mm -hmm. faith and doubt that he knows what he's doing. Like clearly Jesus knew what he was doing, but you have that. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus specifically said the sickness is not fatal. It would become an occasion to show God's glory. I never noticed that the high priests plotted to kill Lazarus because so Mm -hmm. many of the Jews were going over and believing in Jesus on account of him. Yep. I thought that was interesting too. And that, I didn't, I also didn't realize that that was the catalyst for the end of it. This was the catalyst for the crowds that came to give palms on Palm Sunday and to usher in Jesus coming back. They come and see Lazarus too, you mean? Because they'd heard. uh, Actually, they came not only to see, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus. Oh, okay. 
mine doesn't say that. It just says the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, was there giving eyewitness accounts. It was because mm-hmm. they had spread the word of this latest God sign that the crowd swelled to a welcoming parade. The mm-hmm. Pharisees took one look and threw up their hands. It's out of control. The world's in a stampede after him. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't realize that that was the crowd that was Palm, that is the Palm Sunday crowd. Yelling yeah. Hosanna in the highest. There's just certain things that I don't really, I didn't realize the connection between certain events in scripture. After the triumphal entry, John says his disciples didn't understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. So just that whole them, them like partly seeing when they were with Jesus, but then after it was done. In hindsight. Yes. After his glory passes by. Right. They're totally in the dark while he's with them. In their actual presence, they're completely in the dark. Yeah. And then they see from behind. It's such a great metaphor for Jesus or for Moses being in the cleft of the rock or a parallel is that Mm -hmm. those disciples being completely and totally in the dark and Mm -hmm. until Jesus is gone and then their eyes are opened up and they can Mm -hmm. see from behind all that had taken place in their very presence that they missed when it was in their presence. Mm -hmm. I think about how great it would have been to have actually been with Jesus. And the truth is it wouldn't have been any different. Yeah. Now, like, well, so I was it's listening to our now. podcasts, our Matthew podcasts, mm-hmm. and we talk. One of the things that I say is, I was like, I, I'm pretty sure I would have been like, later, dude, you don't make any sense. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> when I was, yes, well, and that was one of the things that I think since we went through Matthew, I read the gospels in a different way. I appreciate mm-hmm. them in a different way now. Yeah. But I definitely, like, I'm grateful that I was not there then because I think I would have rejected him. And I don't know that I would even have, once it was all said and done, then maybe I would have had a different Mm -hmm. feeling about it all. But yeah. Speaking of the disciples, this is one of my favorite scenes of the disciples in chapter 13 verses starting at 21. After he said these things, Jesus became visibly upset. He was talking about being betrayed. So he's kind of alluding to the fact that he's going to be betrayed. The disciples looked around at one another, wondering who on earth he was talking about. One of the disciples, the one Jesus loved dearly, was reclining against him, his head on his shoulder. Peter motioned to him to ask who Jesus might be talking about. So being the closest, he said, Master, who? I could totally picture Peter being like, ask him. uh, Yeah. (laughs) I remember having this conversation about this scene when we were going through Matthew. Yeah. How they're like, he'll he'll answer you. (laughs) You're his favorite. You ask. It totally makes me think of some friends that used to hang at our house all the time and they were two brothers and whenever they wanted something from their mom, they were hanging out and they wanted to stay longer or have a sleepover or whatever. I would say, okay, we'll call, ask your mom. And they, there was always the one brother that they were like, you do it <laughs> because yeah. they just were like, she'll say yes to you. But if I yes. ask, she'll say no. It's the same kind of idea. Yes. <laughs> I like to how Jesus, when he's talking about the Holy spirit, in chapter 14 toward, well, verse 26 is where he says this, the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've told you. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happens. Like what John says, we didn't understand these things at first, but now we know. Now we understand the things that Jesus already told us. It just didn't fully make sense. Yeah. makes me grateful for the spirit. 
So we talked before about this portion where it says, Philip says, master, show us the father and then we'll be content. This is also in chapter 14. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is like, you've been with me all of this time. I keep telling you that everything I'm doing is from the father and everything that I say is from the father. And Jesus responds and he ends up saying, believe me, I am in my father and my father is in me. If you can't believe that, believe what you see, these works. Mm -hmm. The person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things than these. Because I, on my way to the Father, am giving you the same work to do that I've been doing. So I talked before in one of my talks about how there's that grace for people who saw Jesus and didn't recognize God. I'm like, I get that. I'm a man. It's a, I can see that it would be really difficult for you to see God in me. But you have to believe because of the works, like the works, mm -hmm. the work of the Holy Spirit is being done to reveal who I am and who the father is in me, that we are one, like the whole, we're all three working together for the same purpose to reveal the father and the son, or they were given permission to not recognize Jesus, but the Holy Spirit to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit and that we would do greater things than these. He just brought Lazarus back from the dead. And how can we do greater works than that? Like, what could we possibly do that's greater than bringing somebody back from the dead? Just the idea that with our, with God's spirit in us, the capacity that we have to speak truth and light and life into other people's lives and bring people back from this earthly life and death is nothing compared to eternal mm -hmm. life and death. Death on earth means nothing when there's life in heaven, you know, forever with God. And so that we have the capacity to actually, through God's spirit, bring people from dead to life. And the spirit is greater than bringing somebody back to life in this world by far. Mm -hmm. um, but it, in the context of something that I'm trying to understand and grapple with from Luke six that I mentioned before, or Luke four, Luke six that I mentioned before, the idea that we are called to love our enemies, that we're called to be, um, to love in the midst of betrayal and to turn the other cheek and all of this kind of love that we don't have the capacity to do that that is, that is by the spirit alone. That is a, mm -hmm. that is a work of God that only the Holy and every time that we do that from a genuine love, that is a miracle. Like when mm -hmm. we're actually, <laughs> we're living out full on miracles to be able to love people with that capacity. And I feel like I have yet to do it, but man, I long for it. I do believe he'll answer it. I have hope. That makes me think of John 15, where he talks about the vine and the branches. I feel mm -hmm. like in some ways that it sums up like what our responsibility in a sense is as believers. Remain in me, first of all, because mm -hmm. that's the only way you're going to be able to do anything. Remain mm -hmm. in me, produce fruit, which is of him, of yes. the spirit. It's not of us and love one another, which again is of the spirit. So you nailed it. Remaining yep. in him and abiding in him is what allows us to do any of the other things that he's called us to. And that's, that's really all he's called us to do Yes, is remain in him and love one another. And that is by his all, spirit everything alone. else just right. Remaining in him is his spirit. And then all the other to do's fall into place. You know what I yes. mean? Like not that life is perfect, but those are yes. remaining in him and love one another. Yeah. And it goes back to that same thing that I was talking about earlier, that if we remain in him, then we can just be us and mm -hmm. his spirit does the rest. Remaining in him is the only thing to do. Remain, 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 mm -hmm. remain, remain in him and his spirit works through us and we just be us and we won't necessarily ever see 
what that looks like to other people and how it's bearing fruit in other mm-hmm. people. But we can trust that in remaining in him, his spirit is at work mm-hmm. bearing fruit. Such rest. There's such rest yeah. in him. Yeah. Cause then that even makes me think too about that remain in him concept is like, even that there's nothing for us to do. We are his, he has made us his own. Like we are his possession. And so remaining in him it's just a relationship. It's not anything hard to do. You know what I mean? I mean, it is, we're humans, but we, I think we tend to add a lot to it when, at least for me, if I am kind of grasping onto that truth that I am his, he has done everything that ever needed to be done to make me his. And that there's nothing I can do to get rid of that. I belong to him period. It makes that remaining thing kind of a no brainer. Yeah. It makes but it more... I do think that there are times where we go through periods where we just don't feel it. Oh, and I yeah, think that's sure. when we try to conjure it yes. very much like those Israelites and the golden calf, you know, like there can yep. be a time where we go through a period where it's like, I'm not, I feel like I'm doing all the things that I can right. do to remain in you. And I'm not feeling your presence. I'm not right. feeling close to you. And then you just have to go to that trust. That's, and I think that's for me, that's where that truth of he's made me his own. Yeah. That's when that I think comes into play even more than yes. is when I, when I don't feel like I'm remaining in him. Not to try to conjure it. Right. Yeah. And not to feel like there's something that you can do to make it, to make yourself yeah. better or have him closer. He can't get any yeah. closer. That is our March 27th episode of The Recap. We will see you next week. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth dive studies where we model our process of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org under the studies tab. And we will see you next week.